Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods, and philosophies, and more. The Prodigy Maker Show is primarily focused on high-performance junior training and how to help children maximize their potential. The program features intelligent insight from Chris and debate from leaders in the high-performance industry. The show can be watched live on Chris's Facebook profile, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, amigos? It's the Prodigy Maker Show, episode 54. Why is my kid's technique so bad? It's Chris Lewitt here. Great to be back with you. I took the summer off with the family and the summer camp and missed you guys. And I'm happy to be back on track with some new shows in the works. We've got episode 54 today. I have episode 55 coming out probably in a week or two on cardio training and the idea that cardio is king. But today I wanted to talk about technique and something that's so near and dear to my heart. You guys know that I'm a technician. I love to work on world-class technique. I love to build technique. I've been building technique in the trenches for the last 20 years, primarily in New York. So great, thanks for the thumbs up. It's good to be back live. We'll do the show live here on Facebook and I'll get this podcast out because I know a lot of you like to listen to the show while you're training or you're working out or driving and you can listen to the pod and also the show is broadcast and saved on YouTube so you can watch the show on our YouTube channel. But why is your kid's technique so bad? It's a very common question. It's very frustrating. I wrote an article for this month's New York Tennis Magazine. So if you have access to the New York Tennis Magazine, there's uh, an article by yours truly in there with the same title, uh, eponymously named. And it's basically a, a, my thoughts on why kids struggle with technique and what I've seen over the years in the trenches and you know what parents should look out for and, so, and to some extent coaches too as to why their kid is struggling with their technique. I would like to say at the onset that good technique is a, is a big debate about what good technique is. If you put 100 high-performance coaches in a room and ask them what is good technique, you're going to get a lot of different answers and it's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of debate. Uh, I remember at uh, a USDA high performance workshop, that was kind of the running joke. Like at USDA and their continuing education, I've done a lot of their trainings and, you know, Paul Lovers, who was the head of the coaching education for a while, he used to joke with me that, you know, the, one of, if they wanted to get everyone riled up and create a lot of uh, animosity in a coach's group is you just sit them all in a room and start asking them about what they think is the right technique. He used to joke with me about that, Paul Lovers, good guy. And I think he's right. If you ask, if you poll 100 coaches, like what is great technique, what is world-class technique, you get a lot of different answers. So what I would like to submit to you guys, what is world-class technique? 
what is uh, what is good technique or great technique. You know, when you see a player say, oh, that player's got good technique. What, what the hell does that mean? Uh, I would like to submit to you that you have to start with biomechanics. You have to teach or analyze technique based on evidence. You know, you try to be as evidence-based as possible. So that means you rely on the latest scientific research, biomechanics research in tennis, although it's, it's a little bit limited. You do the best you can with the research that's available and you look to see what the best players in the world are doing. You can study them through high-speed video. That's another way that you can glean or discern what is world-class technique. So I think you got to base your analysis on high-speed video and uh, biomechanics research and try to be as evidence-based as possible. Otherwise, you just get into opinion. One guy thinks this is great. Another guy thinks this is great. And you're just drifting in the ocean and you have no anchor. You have no, no foundation or parameters. You, you have to have some parameters that are evidence-based for you to analyze uh, good, what is good to, to determine what is good technique. And so if you're a parent and you're trying to figure out, does my kid have good technique or not? Uh, that's where you got to start. Now, I, I, it's not really the subject of the show for me to explain what is good technique. I've done many shows about that. If you look through the past 50 plus shows, you can see that a lot of the shows are heavily te technically based. So, you know, look back in the archives and we have the archives on podcasts and on YouTube and the like, and you can you can start to see what my philosophy is in terms of what is good technique. But number one, I'm looking back on my article here. Number one is it could be the coach's fault. So the coach could be teaching incorrect technique. The coach could be teaching outdated technique. That's a big big uh, pet peeve of mine, big concern of mine is many, many coaches that I, uh, I witnessed them teaching outdated technique, technique that is from the 1970s. And I'm a big believer in updating what you teach to children, uh, trying to be modern, trying to be on the cutting edge, trying to be with the latest science and research, you know. Uh, so one thing that you have to be aware of as a uh, as a parent, is, is, are the coaches who are working with your kid, are they teaching outdated technique or, or technique that's simply biomechanically incorrect? And so, you know, that's a pitfall. Unfortunately, there's not that many coaches who are teaching in an evidence-based way. There are many, many coaches who are just teaching based on maybe the way they hit the ball or the way someone told them sometime, one time in a course and they, they don't keep up with their continuing education. They're not really steeped in, in serious biomechanical research. They, they don't, they don't uh, keep up their, their, their knowledge and their studies. Uh, maybe they don't, they've never spent time studying a lot of high-speed video or keeping up with the current trends in the modern game. And so you get many, in many places around the world, including the U.S., you have pockets of coaches who are teaching things that are either they might be weird or outdated or, or, or just plain wrong. So as parents, you have to learn a little bit about what makes good technique and what, makes, uh, what, what are good biomechanics. 
And you have to try to analyze whether the coach that you have or the coaches that you have who are working with your kid, is he or she doing a good job uh, teaching those things? So number two is it's important. You have to try to discern if the coach is making a good uh, relationship with the player and if he's building trust. I'm going to use he, it could be a she uh, rather than just saying he, she, the whole program. The coach needs to be able to build a relationship with the player when you're changing or trying to fix technique, trying to build technique. I feel that this is a very under, uh, underestimated aspect of technical development. So as a technical coach myself, the knowledge is important, but it's also very important to have uh, trust and to build and to alleviate uh, the anxieties that almost always come with learning a new skill. Most players, when when you try to teach them something new, is they get they get anxious, they have concerns, they 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 usually play worse in the beginning. Uh, you know, things don't always go up in a straight line, and so there's a lot of, of doubts that creep into a player's mind. And so, what I'm trying to describe. It, with the number two concern is, do you have a coach who is helping the player work through those things emotionally? Not only teaching them great biomechanics, but, but helping uh, alleviate doubts to, to, to inspire a kid, not just wire, but inspire. To, to get, give a kid the belief, uh, um, to get, bring a positive energy to, to the practice and the training and to let it... And to, help a kid work through the, the doubts and the fears because when you try to change something, it's a little scary. It's scary for many kids, especially young kids, and it's frustrating. So I just think that is a critical skill to have empathy as a coach, to, have, uh, to understand, to be able to put yourself in the player's shoes and understand the fears and the anxieties that they may be going, they may be going through. And I think some coaches are really not good at that. They, they, they may have the knowledge, but they don't give a good emotional support. So what I described in my articles, I said, you have to have the biomechanical knowledge and the technical knowledge, but you also have to have salesmanship. And I do believe that the best coaches, especially the great technical coaches, they're very good salesmen and in a, in a good way. They're, they're trying to sell something, a product, a skill that's going to help the player ultimately. Hope, hopefully, this, they're not uh, they're not taking advantage of the player in any kind of way. Saludos, amigo. Uh, I'm getting some nice comments online. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the thumbs up. But I think that that's that salesmanship, that ability to inspire, not just to go in there and wire. You know, the charisma of the coach, the the uh, the magnetism of a coach is very very important. And, and the empathy, the, the ability to understand what a player is going through, the fears and the doubts, that aspect is very important in technical building and rebuilding. And I think it's often underestimated, undervalued, maybe misunderstood. So parents, if you have a coach and they have a great resume and they have this incredible technical knowledge, but your kid's technique is still not so good, Maybe that coach is not connecting and building trust and, 
and helping the player on the emotional side to learn all these things. And I think that's a really important part of being a great technical coach. The, um, it's possible to be gruff and curt and uh, emotionally distant and still, you know, force changes on a player. But that, that is, you know, not the ideal way to build a, a player's technique. If you want to have the most success with the most players, you have to combine great biomechanical knowledge with empathy and with emotional support. And I think that's what the really great technical coaches do. They're, you know, they have that, that, that dual, um, those dual talents, you know, not just the technical knowledge, but they have the others, the other aspects as well. So think about that when you're looking for someone to help your kid with technique and making changes. Making changes is so daunting for young children. You know, they, they have maybe a, a, a grip that they have, a heavy Western grip. We had a couple of kids at the academy last uh, couple of weeks, uh, heavy Western grip. Very difficult to change that. A lot of, there's a lot of fear for those players to change a grip like that. Or, or it could be anything, you know, a serve technique or, or things with their players' movement. Uh, or forehands and backhands. These are things that are, that are, are, are you got to develop a, a lot of trust. You have to, you have to really support most kids emotionally to get them to buy in. You know, you have to really sell them on this, on the, the benefits of this change and you have to help them through the process. Otherwise you're going to lose them. And so I guess what I'm saying is many parents have kids who are getting uh, lost in the process. The coach is maybe teaching them some good things, but they're not going to really learn it because they have doubts or fears or anxieties that the coach is not alleviating or, or helping the player work through. So uh, number three is, uh, on the one hand, I blame coaches, and on the other hand, I also sort of blame coaches. Here I'm going to blame the player, number three. Why is the technique so bad? If the player doesn't believe what the coach is saying, that is an impossible situation. If the player actually doubts, doesn't trust the coach, the coach says, uh, I, I want you to try this, I'd like you to do this, I'd like you to work on this, this is going to help you. And the player, in their mind, they, they're just nodding their head, but they don't actually believe, they don't trust implicitly what the coach is saying. If, that, uh, if there's no trust in the relationship, the technique is not, it's not going to get better. Uh, the player may put on a good show and try it a little bit when the coach is there, but they won't really have that full buy-in, that full commitment to learning the new skill or, or, or uh, rebuilding something or fixing something. So I had a lesson yesterday in New York, and it was a really, it was a really frustrating lesson. And, and it was a new student. I'd never met him before. And I, I would say a couple of things to him, like, hey, that was, a, that was a, what I want. That was a good-looking for, uh, forehand, or that, that was a good start in that topspin backhand. And he would shake his head every time I, saw, I told him something that I thought was good. And finally, I just stopped the lesson. I said, hey, look, bro, this can't happen. If we have no trust between us, you don't trust anything I'm saying, then you're not going to improve and, and learn anything here. And the lesson in my mind was a failure. Didn't didn't go well at all. I tried everything I could to connect with this kid, and in the end, I don't think uh, we we're meant to work together. But uh, I couldn't get him to buy into anything I was saying. And I was simply, uh, you know, if you tell a kid that was good, and and they when they process that, they say, no, 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 that wasn't good. Uh, that is a 
they're basically saying they don't trust the words that you're saying. And that's what I said to this student. I said, I said, dude, you're, you're basically saying you don't trust what I'm telling you. You, you trust what you're thinking, what your feelings are more than what I'm telling you objectively on the outside. And with that sort of uh, disconnect, you, you cannot have good technical skill building. As simple as that. So the trust has to be there. The player has to believe what the coach is saying. And the coach has to sell the player on, on, on this, these new things that they're going to learn and, and why, they're gonna be be- why it's going to be better. So th- that, that is cr- crucial, critical to the technical learning process. You've got to make sure you have that. If the player is, is uh, being difficult and stubborn and refuses to believe in what the coach is saying, the parent's really throwing the money in the toilet. Uh, you can take as many lessons as you want with the greatest coaches that, that, uh, that, uh, in the world for technique. And if the kid is not uh, believing it, and I would say also if the kid is not going to go work on it on their own time, like if, if another thing, I, I didn't write this in the article, but I mean, there's a number of other reasons why technique can go bad. In the article, I, I think I listed eight reasons why your kid's technique could be bad. But I mean, there, I think there's probably more than eight as I was reflecting on it. But if a kid is um, not practicing what the coach says, that's a big problem. You know, you you can't just come to a lesson and do your best and then go uh, away from the lesson and do something totally different. There has to be a buy-in and the kid has to be committed to the change and committed to the technical process. Otherwise, just the whole thing's going to fail. So that's another reason why technique oftentimes doesn't get better. The, the coaches might be saying good things. Coach might be saying great advice technically, but the kid is not really buying in. And then after the lesson, the kid backslides and does whatever they want in the, in the rest of the week and the other practices. And that's just a, a recipe for complete failure. Thanks for the thumbs up. Thanks for the heart. Um, appreciate it guys. So number four, and this one is also on the player. Like you have different onuses, like the, sometimes the onus is on the coach and I'm going to get to the parents too, who are ruining their kids technique as well. But, uh, I'm going to blame everyone. I'm going to spread around the, the, the blame. And it could be all, it could be everyone. Everyone could be at fault. But if, if a kid is like year over year, the technique's not getting better. You, somebody has got to stop and say, what's going on here? Why, why is my t- kid's technique still bad or so bad? I'm spending all this money and my kid is not playing well and my kid's skills, you know, uh, by consensus or, you know, I've spoke, been to a lot of different places and the coaches all agree, you know, the technique's not, not so good. You have to figure out, is it the kid's fault? Is it the parent's fault? Is it the coach's fault? It's somebody's fault. Somebody, it's somebody's responsibility, right? Uh, number four is... The player is not gifted, and this is not the player's fault, but if the player is not motorically gifted, so if they don't have good uh, mimicry skills, they're not able to, uh, they, need, they need a tremendous amount of repetition to learn a, a motor skill, that is a challenge. You know, that, that could be a reason why a kid's technique is not that good. And so you, you, as a coach or as a parent, you have to determine, is my kid motorically gifted? And if they are, they're going to need fewer privates, fewer reps to learn something. And if they are, are less motorically gifted, 
uh, they're going to need a lot of extra help, extra private lessons, extra repetitions, and it's going to cost more money. But in the end, you can still get pretty good technique, even with a kid who is not that talented in, in, or in terms of gifted with their um, motor skills acquisition. You know, so sometimes you have a player who is a very, very good athlete, you know, in, in other areas like you know, tremendous uh, cardiovascular endurance, very good hand-eye, uh, very good, you know, uh, in, in very quick, uh, very, you know, they can be very powerful. You can have an athlete, uh, you can have a very good athlete who is uh, sometimes not that, uh, is a little bit motorically challenged and they need a lot of reps to get their technique um, right, quote-unquote right. I know there's a big debate about what is right, but, you know, based on, 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 on scientific uh, research and on, on high-speed video analysis, you know, this kind of thing. Um, so I remember I had this, uh, boy, Kyle Mountner is excellent player. He went on to play number one for UPenn and he was, you know, maybe, uh, he was, uh, got to like 11 in the U S great player, lefty, amazing, uh, really hardworking kid, great player. Uh, he dominated at UPenn in, in D one. And I remember when he was little, Good example, excellent athlete, but he, he really didn't learn the skills that, that quickly. And we had to spend many, many hours with repetitions, you know, hand feeding and, and working on, on mechanics. But nevertheless, he was a very good athlete overall in other areas, other categories. So I think you, it's possible to have a player who's, who's actually a very good athlete, but they need uh, more time to develop their technique and, and uh, mechanics. So just keep that in mind. And then uh, sometimes you have kids who are just really not that talented and they need just a ton of help and the coach has to be patient with them and the parents have to be patient and it's gonna, just going to take more time. Sometimes parents are very impatient uh, and coaches can be impatient and uh, may, sometimes the, the player is on the right track but the coach gives up on them or the parent um, maybe gives up or gets, starts to get negative or says, yeah, I'm not paying for private lessons anymore because you're not learning quickly enough. You know, with, so, with some children, they need a lot more time and focus on those things. So just keep, keep that in mind. Um, number five, the parent sometimes, not always, there are a lot of really good parents who, who help their children with technique and things like that. But there are parents who interfere with the technical development process in a negative way. And so as a parent, if your kid has bad technique, try to figure out, is it, are you to blame in some respect? Are, are you, are you um, saying things that undermine what the coach is trying to build? Are, so are you conflicting with the coach or are you coordinating your messaging with the coach? Very important to have a coordinated message to the, uh, to the player. So sometimes parents can get in there and maybe they're saying things that are a little bit different and they're confusing the kid. And if that goes on for an extended period of time, the technical development is going to be quite uh, poor and, and the skill building will be, uh, will be hindered. Uh, in, in addition, uh, some parents, uh, you know, parents can, can be... In, uh, sometimes be negative, but parents can also uh, be positive. If they can coordinate their messaging with, uh, with the coach, they, they can, that can be a real positive for the player as well. Uh, sometimes, and this is number six, you have other coaches who are being the hindrance. 
the parents may bring the player to multiple coaches. And when you have too many coaches in the kitchen, uh, the meal doesn't turn out very well. So the, the, uh, the food doesn't taste so good. And in this case, the technique doesn't come out very good. You have, this is a very common thing, at least here in the Northeast and in, in New York, sometimes the players being uh, brought to multiple coaches. And if they're saying different things, this is a very common way that uh, a kid's technique can be ruined, or at least he can, um, the overall development can be hindered. It, because imagine if you're a young child and, and, and Chris is telling you one thing, and then another day you go to another guy and he's telling you this, and then another guy is telling you that, and then your parents are telling you something else, and then it becomes uh, really confusing and the technical development process can be slowed or stalled. The kid can get frustrated, the kid can get um, lost in a way. So I think it's important if you have multiple coaches, the parent really needs to coordinate the messaging. The coaches could coordinate the messaging as a high performance team. A lot of coaches don't like to work together, but uh, it would, it's, it's better for the player if the coaches coordinate their messaging to the player, especially with technical things. And, uh, and the parents can, can also help with that process. But parents, be on guard. Be careful about bringing your player to too many people. If your kid's technique is struggling, be, uh, try to analyze uh, and reflect and say, are, are you saying uh, different things than the coach is saying? Are you demonstrating things in a different way than the coach is, is doing? Uh, for example, and this is uh, another reason why sometimes kid has bad technique, um, is the parent like a bad role model and just in terms of their strokes. Like some parents like to get out there and hit with their kids, but their games are really crap. Uh, they have really sloppy technique and they don't realize that children are very visual oftentimes and they learn, they can learn, not every child is a visual learner, but, but in, many children are. And if you're with a kid playing with them every day and your forehand's real shitty and you have uh, bad, bad strokes, you know, bad footwork and slop, yeah, I can think of some parents in my mind right now. And they just love to play with their kid, but they don't realize that their kid is, is basically uh, being exposed to a very bad role models in terms of technique every day. That can have a, a believe it or not, can have a negative effect on a kid's technical development. Uh, same thing with a coach. You might have a coach who is, probably should have included this in the article, but you can have a coach who is uh, very knowledgeable, but they're not, they were never a player, they don't have good skills, and then when they, when they try to demo something for a kid, it looks weird, it doesn't look quite right, and the kid sort of mimics that and tries to do what the coach is showing them, and it doesn't look, doesn't come out so good, it looks, it comes out like a, like a bad Xerox, like a bad copy, you know, like a, like a copy machine that's bro broken, the product of, of that. So coaches, if you are teaching technique, if you love to build technique, be very, very careful with the way you demo. Be careful with the way you demonstrate strokes. You may be explaining the technique and in your mind, you may know exactly what you're trying to get. You may, and it may be based on evidence and good biomechanics, but it, it, you can ruin the whole, uh, the whole meal. The whole, rest, the whole recipe can be ruined if you go out there and demo it the, uh, in, a, in, a, in an incorrect way. That's why uh, coaches who played at a high level, coaches who are on the tour, um, if they had good techniques, sometimes you get guys on the tour who are kind of like 
idiosyncratic, and they can sometimes be poor role models for young children. But generally, players who the higher level they played, they have uh, better mechanics, better strokes, and so. Sometimes all they have to do is just like demo a good backhand or demo a beautiful serve, and for a lot of talented kids, that's all they need to get rolling technically, and that can be enough. It won't be enough for the less gifted kids to learn technique, but it, it will be enough for for more, the more talented kids typically, and that's why it's such a great advantage to have to have played at a high level, a, a good college level, or a good professional level. If your strokes are really good, that can really help you as a technical coach. So parents, watch out for that. If you have a real crappy game, like if you're that club hacker, I mean, you play well, but you're you're one of those hackers at the club. I mean, be careful. If you you play with your kids, tell them, look, I'm a hacker. <laughs> be honest with them. Don't copy my strokes. I love to play, but please don't copy copy what your coach is telling you. Copy what Rafa and Novak and and you know, uh, copy what Zverev's doing. Copy what uh, Dominic team's doing. Don't copy my game because sometimes kids will will just visually, you know, they they get in your, they just get used to what they're seeing and they just start doing picking up some bad habits just by being around a bad player. Conversely, if a parent is a very high level player, if a parent is a former pro or former uh, college player and they play with their kid every day, imagine what the kid is being exposed to. Imagine the the visuals that the kid is getting every day. Uh, a lot of good positive things, positive footwork, positive stroke mechanics, and the kid can kind of pick up on a lot of those things, you know. So the environment matters uh, in terms of technique building. Just be on guard for that. Number six was about the other coaches, like having too many chefs in the kitchen. Just be careful. Don't have too many chefs in the kitchen because the, the meal usually doesn't come out so well. There's too many people, too many different opinions. Uh, number seven is a really, really good one that I think coaches could learn from and parents should also be aware of is that sometimes in the technical process, and I think it's a critical leap in the technical process, uh, it's, I would say, maybe the most important transitional phase is after you've d- developed some good technique and, and the stroke is looking pretty good in kind of a controlled way, maybe in a drill, is you have to get the player hitting and doing some sort of live ball. And this is where I think most coaches and, and parents who are on the court with their kid and, and, and children oftentimes will they'll lose the, um, uh, the muscle memory that, they've, that they're building. So the motor skill that they're developing, they, they will lose it when they start transitioning to live ball. So I think as a technical developer, and anyone who's, who wants to build great technique and anyone who's concerned about technique, the transition from dead ball, uh, hand feeding, racket feeding to actual hitting is critical. And, and the player, it has to be done progressively and very slowly and delicately at first. And the biggest mistake that I see, getting to the point, is that coaches or parents will put their kid in a high-level hitting session, like high-level sparring right away after they're trying to learn a new skill. And that is a recipe for failure. The, the player will feel overwhelmed. The player will feel too much pressure. And at the end of the day, as soon as the player feels that, usually they will revert. They will backslide. They will revert to their, what they feel safe and comfortable with. And that is their old technique. 
And so many times I see players who have tried to learn a new skill. They've tried to learn, uh, maybe fix something, and they actually made pretty good inroads in developing the new mechanics, developing a new motor program. But then when they start to play, they lose it. They, 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 they're not able to completely master the technique. And if you don't completely master a new technique, it's, it's, not, learned. it's not fully learned. And you will go back inevitably to the, uh, the old habits that you have, especially under pressure, especially when you hit harder or someone hits hard to you. Uh, so that is uh, just like a critical phase in technical development that I think is not, not valued enough and not focused on enough. And it's something I spend a lot of time with my students on is once they get the, the basics of, of a new skill is we spend a lot of time in live ball, but very controlled, soft hitting. Uh, uh, they have a, a drill in Spain called the wall, la pared, where the coach chips the ball very gently and the player has a lot of time to work through their, their stroke mechanics and their footwork mechanics. And I think that steady progression is, is critical to actually achieving full mastery of a new skill. And I just think many, many players, they get like halfway down the road to mastery and then the coach throws them back into their normal hitting group and it's just, you know, the, the improvement, the skill is gone and the player will probably feel some insecurity from that and, and, and a lot of times they will give up on learning the new skill. So watch out for that. So that is like, that's a shame because the player actually was making good progress. It wasn't like the coach was teaching them something bad or it wasn't like they were being stubborn and they didn't trust the coach or they didn't listen to the coach and it wasn't like the parent was interfering or you know anything like that. It was just that the, the actual skill was being built the the motor the motor uh, the muscle memory was was getting there but the player wasn't put in the right environment the the sparring was too hard too too fast too much pressure um, the same could be said for tournaments and match play and that's actually number eight in my article for new york tennis magazines number number eight is uh, match play in tournaments. So let's say you're trying to work on a skill with a kid, you're making good progress on that new forehand or that new serve, and then you say, hey, it's a tournament coming up next week, let's play. And if it's a high-level tournament, there's no way the kid's going to maintain that technique in the tournament. They're going to they're gonna revert right back to something that they feel comfortable with as soon as they feel real pressure in, in a tournament environment. So that's something that parents and coaches and players all need to watch out for in the technical journey, in the technical development process. If the technique is not fully baked and you're, you're just sort of halfway towards mastery, uh, the technique is not fully subconscious yet, it's still, it's still sort of in the conscious learning phase where the player has to think and memorize uh, and remind themselves. So you have to give the player reminders. If you throw them into competition, usually that skill will be lost and the player will revert, the player will feel anxiety, and they will um, hold on instinctively to the old safe muscle memory, the old safe motor skill, uh, so the old safe technique. So you torch your progress. Let's say you pay a coach a lot of money, a player six weeks working on the new foreign, and then they go into a very strong tournament and 
poof, the new foreign is gone and the player's doing the old stuff, uh, that is gonna that is gonna undermine technical progress. And that can happen repeatedly over time and eventually a couple of years go by and you're like, hey, my kid's technique is, not, is still not better. Uh, and then usually the parent gets mad and the coach gets frustrated. Maybe the parent starts to you know, uh, criticize their child, say, why can't you learn this? Or the coach is like, come on, you can. Uh, and it creates a lot of conflict. So the key is just progressively getting into sparring. One of the secrets that my old coach, Gilad Bloom, used to do is a very, very smart, technical coach, incredibly smart. Uh, Gilad Bloom, used to, what he used to tell me was the best thing you can do when you're learning a new skill is to put a player with like an, a 10-year-old. Like a good, a good tournament 10-year-old who doesn't hit hard but doesn't miss is like the best person to practice with when you're learning a new technique or someone who hits like that. So a coach could mimic that. I do that all the time with my students. They're learning a new skill and I'm hitting, I'm hitting like a soft 10-year-old ball to them. Even though I'm, you know, full-grown man, I'm going to play with them very lightly and gently at first so that they can work through all those motoric skills that they're trying to master and it's difficult. But uh, Gilad used to, used to, it was brilliant. He'd have like, like a, you know, anyone learning new technique maybe hit with uh, and maybe play points with the little, little kids. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Because those kids are solid, especially if they're like, you know, good tournament kids at that level because they're pretty solid. Um, like I have a player here at the academy this week who, who's very, very solid and he's, um, he's young and that, that's an ideal person to work on something, like to work on a new stroke with because they're just going to give you a, a, a ball that's slower where you have more time to think about what you're doing and then get good reps and, uh, but, and it's not too much pressure. You know? So think about that, parents. If the kid's technique is not that good, is it because you keep interfering with tournaments? Like you keep interjecting tournaments into the, the technical learning uh, um, time, timeline there uh, too early? Or is, is, the, is the hitting too strong? Like if you have a 16-year-old and they're trying to fix something, uh, God forbid you have an older teenager who still needs to fix something with their technique, which is not a good place to be. But let's say you have to do it and you have to make a change with an older teenager, for example, or an adult. Uh, they shouldn't go back into their 16-year-old normal hitting group when they're first learning a new stroke or a new, new whatever, footwork. Uh, they should probably drop down to hit with some 10, 11, and 12-year-olds. And as a coach or a parent, you have to explain to the player why you are doing that. Otherwise, they're going to be pretty, they're probably going to be unhappy campers, and they're going to be like, why are you making me hit with a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old? They're not as good as me. And you have to explain, look, they're going to give you a nice, big, fat, easy ball to hit. You're going to get a lot of reps and you can really build this muscle memory. And, and we can, and then after a few weeks of that, we can um, take you up to the next level, can hit with 13 and 14 year olds, and then get you back to the normal hitting with 16 year olds and 18 year olds as your technique gets more solidified. But if you try to rush the process and go too quickly hitting with two uh, powerful players, usually the technique is lost and all that hard work is, is uh, erased. If, if not erased, it's just um, it's pushed to the, the, res the recesses of your brain, however the, the you know, neurobiomechanics works uh, or neurophysiology works, 
your your the that learnings that that motor program is pushed to the, the the recesses of your brain and the the old technique is going to stay in the forefront and it's going to be the one that's prioritized by your brain in turn in the learning process and that's just that's that's what usually happens so guys i hope this is helpful uh, obviously this is for you gearheads out there you technical addicts like me uh, all you tennisplayer.net readers and you know, I, I've written a lot for that. That's a, a real technical magazine that people love to talk, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts and the building hardware of a player. I love to build the hardware of, of players. And so I just thought this might be helpful for parents. Uh, funny title. Why is my kid's technique so bad? I know it's a big debate. What is good technique? What is bad technique? That's a great way to lose friends and to create a lot of conflict in your uh, in discussions with people. What is good technique? What is bad technique? Remember, it's based on good on biomechanics. It's based on high-speed video analysis of what the top players are doing. I think that's a safe bet if you're trying to uh, figure out what are, what are good technical parameters, that's where you should start. What are the top guys doing, guys, women and men? Uh, what are the... the what are, uh, with the limited tennis research that we have from the you know you know people that um, you know leaders in the, the um, scientific uh, analytical world of tennis like Mark Kovacs and uh, uh, you know the ITF has good technical research like people like Bruce Elliott who are studying serve mechanics you know world leader you know if you can be exposed to good biomechanics uh, from those sources and then combine it with um, high-speed video analysis, uh, slow-motion analysis of what the pros are doing, you, you start to develop a good sense of you know, what is world-class technique, what does it look like? And um, like I said, I've done many shows talking about that, but think about these eight, uh, these eight uh, reasons why your kid's technique might be bad, and then if, if you do say, hey, oh yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm having, that, that's definitely something that, that we've been struggling with, Try to make some adjustments in your kid's training. Maybe don't take them to three coaches. Maybe just have one coach guiding the show. I was working with a nice family yesterday. Two nice kids came to me, new students, and their technique was, uh, you know, they were really struggling with their technique, and the mom was very smart. She was a lawyer, and she said to me, you know, I think the biggest thing, that reason why they're struggling is that I haven't found someone to really be the architect of their technique. You know, they're, they're young children, like 10 years old, and I've been taking them to this place. I've been taking them to that place. And I, I agreed with her 100%. I said, it's very important to have someone who's kind of the visionary, the architect, the, the, the prime developer of your ch child or your children's form. And I think the, the great technical coaches are like that. They're like architects. They're like artists. And they, they take over uh, your, your child becomes their project or their, their work of art. So I think it's important to have someone guiding or, you know, running the show like that, guiding the whole process and not to have too many uh, chefs in the kitchen. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's just uh, keep an eye out for those pitfalls. And uh, I, I didn't talk about it in the article, but there was one, you know, I, I, if you listen to episode 53, which was about bad tennis lessons. I think we talked about red, orange, green. 
Red, orange, green is really bothering me. I don't understand why we have so many players coming out of red, orange, green with bad technique. I joked about it in the last show. Listen to episode 53 if, if you're interested in this topic. But you know, the idea is red, orange, green programs are supposed to help everyone's technique, to help children learn technique more efficiently and better. But something is wrong. It's not working because I see so many players from a red, orange, green environment who are are definitely do not have world-class technique. They're stiff, they're tight, they're not moving fluidly. You know, those, you know fluidity is a big part of world-class technique, fluidness uh, and elasticity in the stroke and, and uh, graceful movement. And for some reason in the American red, orange, green programs in particular, we're not seeing a lot of players come out of these young, uh, these young, uh, these younger age focused programs, they're not coming out of these programs with great form and technique and especially footwork. So I joke that that's really great for my business because I get to, all those kids come to me a little bit later on and I have to do the remedial work. But you got, at some point you got to ask systemically, like what is going on in this country where, uh, why are all these red, orange, green programs failing to build world-class technique? I mean, we all have to ask ourselves that. I, I don't know if I have the, uh, that, that answer, but I know that I'm, what I see in my daily work is a lot of children coming out of those types of programs with very poor form, and uh, it is definitely concerning and, and troubling. So I'll leave you with that. Guys, it was a great show. Thank you for all the thumbs up. Thank you for the likes and the hearts and the love. It's good to be back. I'll try to broadcast a couple times a month right now, um, and we'll try to get back on track with the show. And... Um, I'm sure we'll have a lot of good stuff to share with you guys in the coming months. I may have some very exciting news for you in the, in the next few months. Um, and uh, I, I won't uh, reveal that yet, but there's some exciting things uh, on the agenda and on the, time, on the horizon uh, for me and my work. Uh, we want to do more digital. Uh, we're going to produce more digital content this year and, and build up the... Uh, like the Prodigy Maker blog, I have you know the blog at prodigymaker.com, and we have the online school uh, at clta.teachable.com. So we, we want to have a lot of exciting digital offerings, and uh, and we're doing a lot of high performance training here at the club in Vermont. We had an awesome summer. We had like you know maxed out weeks of uh, high, our, we have a high performance camp here. So so we had a really busy summer, and it's exciting for me to see. Uh, uh, so many players coming in to visit me here in this little uh, mountain town in Vermont and also, of course, in New York. But I have some uh, exciting news, especially some exciting young players who I'm working with right now who I think have the chance to be professionals and maybe even win Grand Slam someday. So I'm, I'm super excited. I'll share more about that with you guys in the, the coming weeks and months. So have a great day and adios, amigos. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt, and the show can be watched live on Facebook. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the show. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Vamos! Vamos!